Welcome to Dig In, the podcast brought to you by Dig Insights. Every week, we interview founders, marketers, and researchers from innovative brands to learn how they're approaching their role and their category in a clever way. Welcome back to this week's episode of Dig In. I am joined today by someone who's got a ton of experience, decades of experience working in CPG packaging design. Um, He's a graphic designer by trade and has worked within this space for for a long time. Fernando Arendar from Knitted Studio. Uh, Fernando, how are you? Hi, how are you? (laughs) I'm great, thank you. I'm good. I'm good. Wonderful. And where where are you where are you based for all the listeners? I'm I'm based in Buenos Aires, Argentina. Amazing. I'm so jealous. I wish I was in Buenos Aires right now. Um, No, it's cold here right now. So enjoy your summer. (laughs) Well, it's not much of a summer out here right now, but um, I mean, it has been pretty nice. But this week is supposed to be rainy. Um, but I always um, forget that the the seasons are swapped in. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> all right, all right. Yeah. Maybe I'll maybe I'll come in uh, in January or February when. Yeah, you should. Really bad over here. <laughs> yeah, you definitely should. Um, well, thank you so much for joining us today. Um, not only do you have a ton of experience in design, um, but I know that we're going to dive into it a little bit later, but you're also really interested in sort of um, the neuroscience behind packaging decisions and, and human psychology. So I think it'll be really interesting, uh, really interesting conversation. Do you mind just giving the listeners a little bit of insight into your history within design, packaging, CPG? Yeah, sure. Let me see. Uh, to make a long story short, um, I realized I liked graphic design when I was seven and started copying the logos of my favorite brands into a notebook. Of course, I didn't know there was a profession or a career back then with that name. So as you can imagine, I graduated as a graphic designer and started designing mainly logos and visual identities. But then I joined an agency that works mainly with packaging and I've been working with global brands ever since. Uh, such as Unilever, uh, Kimberly Clark, Nestle, PepsiCo, ABI, Clorox, Danone, among others. So I've been in the CPG or fast-moving business for more than 15 years, working with almost every category, but mostly with food and bev and personal care. I have a lot of experience working with private label as well. One of those was uh, Lidl. They landed in the US in 2017. And back then we helped them designing and adapting their portfolio to the US market codes. And over three years, we designed more than 600 packaging. And during that time, I used to visit the US a lot to observe the market. Uh, study the shelves and understand the consumers and that's when I fell in love with the with the U.S. market I really love the diversity the innovation 
the openness of consumer to non-traditional design. So that was a, a real challenge for me. And let me see, then COVID hit and like everyone else, I had more time to do things I couldn't do before or lack the energy to do. So at first I catch up with branding. Then I started researching and reading a lot of lot about consumer behavior, which opened many doors for me and made me understand what really was under the hood. Uh, but there was still some question that I need to answer. So I ended the journey reading about how our brains work with all the findings of neuroscience. But all the, the info I found was related to neuromarketing and there was almost nothing focused on packaging. So I came up with the idea of putting together all this information from neuroscience, cognitive and evolutionary psychology, uh, behavioral science, behavioral economics, to understand how the relationship between consumer and packaging really works, you know? And this is what I coined neuropackaging. I'm following the story at the at, at that point. I opened my own studio and began to apply this new approach to brand new projects. And I can tell you, it really works. <laughs> <That's> so, <laughs> um, yeah, I'm really excited to hear more about that. Um, what I'm really curious, though, you said you kind of fell in love with the U.S. market and um, consumers' openness to you know, maybe non-traditional pack designs. Um, can you give me an example of what you mean by non-traditional pack design? Well, if you, I don't know, stand in front of the, of the, of the shelf in, in the US, you can see a lot of different brands, different, different tiers, different also categories. So, it, maybe you should visit like a, a market from South America to understand the, this comparison because there, there's a lot of difference between each market. And, and I don't know, you have like um, a lot of, I don't know, maybe um, you can select from a lot of different options. And, and, and that's, that's a huge different between each market. That's what I'm, what I'm referring to. Um, yeah. Cool. Yeah, I was just curious about that. Um, obviously, mm -hmm. I work in marketing, but I don't work in pack design. So I'm always, always interested um, in kind of the, the way that designers approach. approach. Mm. Um, so kind of along this, a similar line, when we think about mm -hmm. traditional versus non-traditional packaging design, um, or when we think about, you know, myths about good pack design versus bad pack design, can you debunk any of those for us based on your experience? Like, I guess a better way of asking this is, what are some of the myths about pack design that you, you kind of mm -hmm. don't subscribe to? Mm. That's a good question. Um, well, unfortunately, there are quite a few of them. And what I realize is that 
these misunderstandings cost uh, brands money, uh, energy, and of course time. The first thing, uh, the first thing I see everywhere, and I know I will win some critics, is that the packaging must make the consumer fall in love. You know that the consumer buys with emotion, and the consumer will connect to your brand or your product and all that mambo jumbo stuff. But the reality is far from that. That's not really drive any purchase decision. Uh, I'm I'm not saying that a brand must be attractive, appealing, original, uh, distinctive, uh, and catch your curiosity. But at the end of the day, the consumer buys a product because he or she assumes that it will fulfill his need and goals or because he wants to reward himself for achieving something or because he wants to feel that he's giving the best for his family or even because he wants to gain some status among his friends or group or just to be cool and keep you know there are many reasons but none of them are because he falls in love with a packaging or because a certain emotion arises and takes control over his mind. Most of our decisions are made on autopilot mode. So leaving, leaving emotion out of the table, we need to focus on the goals that the audience want to achieve with a product or even with a brand. And, and this way we avoid, I think, creating false expectations to the brands. Uh, I've seen many found, founders and um, brand owners disappointed. The consumer connect with your brand, but believe me, that they don't spend as much as energy as you think. And another very common myth is the one I call the five second rule. Uh, it claims it, it takes only five seconds or less to decide which product you will buy. I imagine you you heard it a lot. Well, this is entirely relative. In any, in any case, it's not a matter of time. It's a matter of energy because our brain is in energy saving mode most of the day. So speaking of how long it takes the consumer to decide what to buy is to misunderstand the purchase sequence or, or proceeding. It's way much more complex than that. And for example, you, you only need to, to stand in a grocery or supermarket and watch the shoppers to understand how the behavior differs between them and between each product, between the tiers and categories. It is also assumed that there is only one type of consumer when in fact there are several types. For example, uh, there is a shopper who buys for the whole family um, another who shops for a specific event, uh, people who live alone and, and shop only for themselves, they may who stick to a shopping leads uh, and so on. And also consumer behavior at Costco is not the same at Whole Foods, for example. Even the moment of the day plays a role. If you go shopping before having any meal or, or when you are hungry, you will probably feel more attracted to snack food products. And, and the third myth, which I also see or hear very often, is that if the packaging stands enough, 
it is going to be solved, like a simple equation, you know? Uh, and maybe it works by getting the shopper's attention, but that doesn't mean it will lead to a sale. For example, I had a client that wanted to use bright color for the packaging to attract attention. They were really focused on getting the shopper's attention, but actually they have a natural product. Probably the shopper associates bright color with an energy drink, a soft drink, or maybe a soda. The products that definitely are not related with something natural. So of course it's important to stand out, but again, it's even more important not to lose sight of the consumer goal um, the culture and the mental models and associations they had built inside that culture. Yeah, that makes total sense. I mean, how do you approach, I really like the, the mental model comment that you just made. Like, how, mm-hmm. do you, how do you kind of approach getting into the psyche of the customer? Um, for any sort of given, you know, new new packaging brief that you get, how do you approach that? Well, first, we need to understand like the audience of this of, know, of the brand or of the product, and and by this I mean try to navigate all the um, the touch points and and all the the media and the other products that this audience consume or visit or I don't know, frequently um, see or watch or like try to be in, in their shoes and, and, and start creating these models with all these behaviors, with all these um, I don't know, tendence to, for example, uh, the type of oh, oh, the, the, the type of movies they watch, the type of um, shows, type of podcast, type of clothes, the type of um, electronics, shoes, and start to understand like all the behavior and and, and draw a line and start to join the dots between all these um, all these like stimuli they 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 used to consume and I don't know if that makes any sense. Oh it does yeah so what you're saying is that you essentially look at like their reference points or like the difference yeah the reference points in as you said like the types of brands that they buy or the types of products that they like or the media that they consume. That makes total sense. Um, so I guess it's like mapping that out to get a better sense of where they're drawing or where they would be pulling references from. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's really cool. I, I feel like I'm kind of stepping on the toes of my next question, which is really about um, that sort of neuro packaging. Uh, Mm -hmm. that you kind of mentioned at the end of the opening. So we talked about how you come from a design background, but you really recently started focusing on the science behind packaging Mm -hmm. um, and sort of mixing art and science together. Um, Can you talk 
to us a little bit about what you kind of define neuropackaging as? Yeah, sure. Um, well, what I realized is that um, understanding how our brains work and how we behave is, is key to judging whatever or not a design or branding can work. This is also something that should be learned, I think, in college, and, and that really applies to all disciplines. Uh, understanding how we behave, or um, how we make decisions, or, or even how our brains process information could save a lot of money, energy, uh, and time. So it's very helpful to, to have all this data when you approach projects. It's like to, I don't know, have an, a very useful tool. So I like to read empirical studies about behaviors related, particularly related to, to packaging and food. And when you see the results, they make perfect sense when combined with neuroscience theories. For example, um, how the taste perception of a product can change depending on how it is presented or what color is used where to place a photo in the design if we want to combine likeness, how to place the information, how much information, and so on. So every element, no matter how small, has an impact that in some cases can be worth millions in revenue or even loses. And this is not a silver bullet that guarantees success but it definitely reduced the chance of making big mistakes that can even mean the failure of a startup, if you think about it. So let's let's take the, the, the example of Ruani. Uh, this one, this was one of the last projects we work on in my agency. They won the, the Nosh Pitch Slam a month ago. And to, to give you a little background on the brand. Ruani is a better for you brownie. It's a dessert that not containing any traditional ingredients like refined sugar, fats, and large amount of carbs. And, and we need we needed to communicate that, but in a distinctive and, and attractive way, of course. So first, we develop a brand strategy by understanding the context, the market, and competitors, defining the personality and message and defining to home and where it should be communicated. And based on this, uh, we then decide which aspect should be communicated and, and in which hierarchy. For example, indulgence, lightness, healthiness, and so on. It's like, you know, it's like tuning the knobs uh, to, to, to achieve like the, the, the outcome that we look for. So finally, we, ma we map what is called the, the semantic network of the consumer. And you, you asked me about this before. Um, this time we, we try to codify all the models the consumer may have in this universe that the, the, the brand plans to live in. And these models help us to define the images, uh, fonts, copies, you know, styles. And once we have defined this universe, we think about the how, how to express it. 
And at this point, uh, knowledge of neuropackagingsky. For example, that a product placed on the top or left side of the front of the packaging makes it feel lighter. Or if we add all the benefits of the front or we generate a cognitive overload in the consumer. And this knowledge is, believe me, it's not intuitive or based on gut feeling. It's based on scientific studies and behavioral theories that back it up. And, and lastly, we also use a, um, what I call processing fluency test. Uh, processing fluency refers to the to the ease which our brains process information. You know? So we evaluate all the frictions that a packaging design may have. And as I said before, we, we tune the knobs of that design and communication to, to achieve the best possible outcome result. Very cool. And has that packaging gone live? Yeah, it is. Yeah. Oh, cool. Yeah. Okay. We'll try and find a link and share it when we're sharing the, um, the, the episode. That's really interesting. And do you find, yeah, they, they, sorry, they, they actually won the, the last, uh, Nosh 2022 pitch slam like a month ago. Oh, cool. Oh, yeah. sorry. I missed that part. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that's awesome. Nosh as in the, um, like the food and bev publication. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's so cool. Um, definitely. Well, we can, I'm sure we can find a link to that. That's, um, mm -hmm. that's really awesome. And do you feel like your approach, so this neuropackaging approach is really unique in the market? Um, or would you say it's something that more people are adopting? Um, yeah. What's your take on that? Mm. <laughs> well, I haven't seen a lot about this approach. Uh, I, I, to be honest, I, I really don't know. Uh, I, I use it not because it's something unique and, and I want to stand out or something like that. I use it because it really helps and it, it really makes my job easier, you know? Um, because you can realize the problem or you can see the problem like in an instance it's 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 very it's very easy to 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 define like a problem in a packaging if you are redesigning for example it's it's make the the, the job much more easy for me at least yeah so i i don't know i to be honest i i don't know if anyone is using it <laughs> No, that's I hope not. <laughs> what you're saying is that you know it's it's working. So you know it's not a it's not some like flashy new thing that you've added to your you know toolkit. It's it's actually something that you feel like makes the work a lot better. Um, yeah, definitely. It's great. Yeah, there, there are not fancy words or something like that. It really really works. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, okay, cool. Well, in the, we're moving into the rapid fire portion of the interview. So we're about to, to finish up just a few more questions for you. Um, okay. we like to ask, um, a similar variety of questions to everyone we interview. Um, 
for you, these are all around packaging. So if you could redesign mm -hmm. brands packaging, um, I guess, uh, consumer packaged goods, maybe which brand would it be? Mm. Uh, that's a hard question <laughs> because I always try to be respectful, you know, of the work of others. So I don't know if there's a particular brand, but I see in the market too many packaging designs that, that are full of information or graphic. Um, that's why I referred to previously as cognitive overload. And this causes tremendous friction and makes it very difficult for consumers to understand what kind of product it is or what the brand is trying to tell them. So it's made me want to clean them up. What I usually tell my client is uh, don't try to be clever, try to be clear, you know? Right. So maybe it's not just one packaging. Uh, I think there are the ones that miss the mark with those kind of things. Right, trying to put two, like less is more essentially. Definitely, yeah, yeah. Because I know, I don't know, a lot of brands try to, to, to get like their certification and I know it's hard, but you don't need to put all, all the, the, the certification on the front, you know, and, and there's always need to be a balance between the, 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 um, the, the information, or like I said before, the cognitive overload and, and the community of, of, the, of the information you put in front of the package and, and the consumer really, really, I don't know, care about. So yeah, I think you need to balance what you wanna say and what the, the consumer is willing to understand or is willing to perceive, you know, it's like a balance. Okay, awesome. And what's the coolest CPG packaging that you've seen lately? Um, well, I, I find it very interesting what is happening in cereal category. I think the brands that emerge in that space are super cool, like um, Off Limits, uh, Magic Spoon, uh, Three Wishes, mm. what else? Uh, Surreal in the UK. They're using new codes for the category. Uh, and what's happening is what I mentioned before, which is that the big, big brands like Kellogg's in this case are becoming updated, you know? But they probably end up buying all of those brands like the Beer Monster Company did with the, the craft beers. So I, I really like what is happening with, the, with this yeah. type of surreal category with these brands. That's so, it's so funny that you mentioned Off Limits because I wasn't aware of Off Limits until like a week ago. We had, I did an interview with, um, the episode will probably be out by the time your episode lands, but with a, a guy named Tyler who founded a company called Hummy and he um, has, I guess, been working with the founder of Off Limits as a mentor. Um, and yeah, we were checking out the site and it's so interesting what they're doing with their packaging um, and the way that yeah. they their branding. So it's cool that they're getting shouted out twice. And Yeah, yeah, I love it. <laughs> I, I, I also know Tyler. 
Oh, okay, yeah. cool. Oh, amazing. Okay, small world. <laughs> it's a small world. It's just a small family, yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Um, okay, and final question is just about packaging trends. Um, obviously, mm-hmm. you know, we just mentioned there's maybe a trend going on. Uh, trend sometimes has a negative connotation, um, but there's something going on within the cereal space um, with the way that they're approaching their design are you noticing anything else um in the packaging space that people should be on the lookout for mm-hmm. uh, i think the trend uh, we've seen in, in recent years is to challenge the cause of categories you know when, when we've seen that for example with liquid 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 there a few years ago with waters or, or or lollipop with sodas, or well, like say the cereal brands that I just mentioned. And the interesting thing about this brand is that they create like a universe with different assets and touch points, such as apparel, toys, records, you you name it. Uh, And also this is how I think you get a solid brand. But the, but the advice I would give to, to, to brand owners is to try to be distinctive because it happens a lot that when the brand owners, founders or CMOs or whatever, see that these brands are succeeding, they think, of course, this is the path that we should take. But at the end of the day, they all look the same and uh, ended up. I don't know, turning something that was original and unique into a commodity. So for me, the trend is and always will be distinctiveness. That's the trend for me. Yeah. <laughs> well, I guess that's, that's a trend that lasts a long time. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's forever, I think. That's forever. Um, yeah, definitely. Fernando, this was really interesting. I learned a lot and I'm sure the listeners will too. Where can people find you or learn about what you guys are working on at Knitted? Yeah, sure. They can reach me at my LinkedIn, my, my name, Fernando Arendar, or the website or Instagram. I don't know. There's a lot of channels <laughs> that they can find. Yeah. Great. But, but, but I want to thank you for having me. I really enjoy being on your your show and and thanks a lot oh of course um yeah hopefully we can follow up um in a little while to see how things are going with you um but for now i will say goodbye and to the listeners i'll talk to you next week thanks for tuning in this week find us on linkedin at dig insights and don't forget to hit subscribe for a weekly dose of fresh content